0: This is amazing.
1: You know, I have your um your face on my refrigerator, so Oh yeah. I sent you my face last year.
0: I sent my face to so many people last year. (laughs) Two of them. I know I sent two. I was like, in case you lose one. Yeah. Yeah. Two is better than one.
1: I didn't put one on my phone.
0: (laughs) Put it on your phone. Put it on your car. Tell the world about this face. (laughs) That face is like three years old, too, you know? I was like younger, fresher, you know?
1: I have a cute hat on.
0: (laughs) I miss that hat. You know, I had that hat for like two months. I got it in Korea. I got it in Seoul. And it Mm -hmm. was one of those hats where I tried it on. It was perfect. It looked perfect on me. And I went to see... I went to see fucking Aquaman at a really expensive movie theater. It was like $30 to see this fucking movie. And I lost it in that movie theater. And like, I went back looking for it. They're like, yeah, we don't have it. It's gone. I was like, damn it.
1: But it's immortalized now on a magnet.
0: (laughs) On a magnet. (laughs) On your refrigerator.
1: Spread out. (laughs) All over the continent.
0: Everybody has one,
1: yeah. (laughs) How are you, Helen? Oh my God, I'm good. I'm all tired right now just because it's um, Friday and end of the work Mm. week, but I'm doing well. Yeah, Yeah. I'm doing pretty well. I mean, all things considered.
0: You know, last time I saw you, you were you were gearing up to start your um, studies, your graduate studies in social work. That was the last time. I saw you. Wow. Was, like,
1: was that when we had pizza?
0: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um and then Jenny. <laughs> I this. Later. Yeah, yeah. Jenny came. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah she, that was great.
0: She grabbed a chair from the bar and then put it on the other side of the fence so she could smoke. I was like, <laughs> that is some next level boss bitch shit. Like we strive <laughs> for that. Great. I strive for that. I strive for that level of you know, audacity, (laughs) always, you know? That was the last time I saw you.
1: Yeah, 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 totally. And you were on your way to California.
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yep. Yes,
1: yes. And then since then, you have gotten a PhD. Yes. And you're a comedian, and you're doing (laughs) all these shows around the world. (laughs) Who knew? Sitting at John's. Pizza I year. know, man. <laughs> so many years ago. Oh, I miss That's- I
0: miss John's pizza. But I, yeah, like you know, I was like, I, I think about you often. I think about you more often than you may realize. Like, um, when I started stand up, I was like, you know, the one steadfast fan was Helen. She was always laughing at everything I said. You know, and it just like kind you're, of affirmed.
1: You're funny, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it was like this nice affirmation confirmation i was like i think i could do this because helen helen laughs all the time <laughs> you know
1: she was always laughing at me
0: always i can do this i could do stage. it because helen's always <laughs> laughing yes and um you know like when else was i thinking about you i was thinking about you in uh G- july 20 20- was it twenty nineteen? No, July, July last year. I was mm-hmm. thinking about you when I was on LSD. Oh. I was like, Helen knows this place <laughs> for some deep reason. I was like, Helen, Helen has been here. Oh my
2: god! And then <laughs> I was oh, in man.
0: Joshua Tree two weeks ago <laughs> Sunday. Like, I took a a big dose of mushrooms, and I was like. Helen's also been here too.
1: It was just I like one ha- of those things. I don't think I've been there.
0: To Joshua um, Tree.
1: But I'm honored that you would assume. Yeah. Oh no, well Joshua Tree or Mushrooms. I have not been to those places. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, the LSD. Um how how were your trips?
0: They were always good. I mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't really think like a quote unquote, bad trip exists. I think challenging trips exist. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But you know, there's always a way out of that. Or, you know, it's like something you have to confront and then figure out. Mm -hmm. Like the key to that is always one of two things. And it might not be two things, it's probably the same thing. But it's like, acceptance and letting go.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then
0: it's like okay everything's cool again
1: yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah i was having this conversation strangely recent well kind of recently a few months ago with um Mm -hmm. my boyfriend and i were having dinner with um my realtor slash friend now and he was asking us about what it's like to trip on acid so mm-hmm. we had a sort of unexpected long conversation about you know preparing can you prepare like what you know sort hmm. of it you know basically like it just whatever happens is kind of pre-existing already somewhere mm-hmm. in your psyche and mm-hmm um yeah but i never had a bad experience
0: mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah. i think these bad experiences happen when they disrespect it like when they mix it with things they shouldn't mix it with like alcohol for instance i think that's probably the mm-hmm. worst yeah, thing that to do
1: sounds bad like
0: yeah. i was in amsterdam and that's when I first tried mushrooms for the first time in my life. And mm-hmm. she was just like, I mean, you've taken LSD, so you could take any of these mushrooms and you'll be fine. And she was like, just two rules, you know, drink water and don't drink alcohol. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, th- mm-hmm. those are very easy rules, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: I think that's when the bad demons happen when they mix it with alcohol or they mix it with like other substances that they shouldn't be mixing it with,
2: mm-hmm. which I
0: think is mm-hmm. a disrespect of the, substances which are meant for like this spiritual deep kind of experience
1: mm-hmm. you know yeah hmm. yeah were you with other people or were you alone when i take lsd
0: like the first time i took lsd at a trip sitter but uh-huh. since then whenever i take lsd and i only do lsd once a year um i always do it alone because that's my preference and mm. uh when i take mushrooms i i've done it with this the same friend both times and both times she was kind of like my caretaker because she's one of those people whose like portals kind of opened already you know those like
2: mm-hmm.
0: more mm-hmm. evolved alien like people who's very like in touch with their wild primal selves she's one of those
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know whereas mm-hmm. like me i have to really work at that
1: <laughs> I, have to,
0: I have to work at my wildness really i do you know, like, and uh, peel
1: away the neuroses, to, like yeah. to chip away. the Yeah. 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 yeah I think mean, yeah. a lot of us, yeah, we've, we've, um, but at the same time, like, we're also so controlled by those primal urges. you know, the whole oh. fight, flight stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Like it's, that's mm-hmm. so unconscious, but then yeah. like, yeah, but, but then accessing maybe like the deeper, the, the deeper wisdom right that we hold yeah. in our yeah. mind and body
0: we I all think. have it yeah we all have yeah. that deeper wisdom mm-hmm. you no know, like um when i started seeing how you're you're like a therapist now right i mean that's what you mm-hmm. are
2: yeah
0: i was like yep. i was like yeah it's yeah makes sense you know <laughs> yeah cuz you you're, you're you're also an artist you're like a videographer you were a dancer, right? Um, no, no, you were never a dancer.
2: Mm-hmm. Why do I no. keep feeling I like to dance. dance.
0: Oh, well, okay. I
1: mean, I, when I was a kid, you know. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, child of Korean immigrant parents, so I, I did all of all of those things. Okay. I liked, I liked dancing, but not. I never like studied it. Or, so
0: weird. I, yeah. For some yeah. reason, I my did. Head. I did
1: theater. I did theater.
0: Ah. Yeah really yeah. so like dramatic theater like dramatic arts theater mm-hmm. yep wow so yep. you're an actress basically
1: yeah i actually when i first started um my first college was actually like a theater conservatory um Whoa. yeah i was i was really into it. but then i just kind of was like i don't know if i want that life
0: really it just like,
1: I don't, well, I didn't, I was like, I don't know if I want to, you know, as an actor, I think it's, it's so one of the biggest challenges that I didn't think that I could really be okay with was that so much of your career as an actor is sort of determined on a judgment mm-hmm. of other people who deem, you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be be sort of at, you know, vulnerable or like at the mercy of like mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of those factors, you know. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, do you just have start your own theater company? But it's like, on what? Well, how are we going to make a living? You know, I mean, it, it just, yeah. um, yeah, was really, yeah, the options didn't, weren't yeah. all like great. So, mm. yeah. But no, but yeah. I did that for a long time. Yeah, it was like theater. But that led to, I mean, I always had a love for film, and then it kind of right.
0: like. You, I mean, you were eas- a filmmaker. Easily, you were a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And then, I, and then it really like bled into the filmmaking pretty easily.
0: Yeah. 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 No, I agree, because you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in LA, and doing stand up and the the way that comics get their quote unquote big break is they have to be shown on television and once mm. people see you on television then you you start you you will get more headlining spots eventually and sell out theaters and the ball will get rolling and i'm just like i can't do that i can't mm. see myself auditioning and Twiddling my thumbs, waiting around for callbacks, and then another one. And it, it's exactly the same reason. And all my yeah. actor friends are permanently <laughs> broken. You know, mm. like they're a constant nervous wreck. And um, I'm just not built for that. You know, like I really don't give a flying fuck what people think of me. And- you know expect out of me even something minor like um, I was at a show and there was a comedy photographer and he was like directing me to do stuff and I was so defiant you know (laughs) like he'd be like pretend like this shoe was a phone and I'm like you're such a hack like I hate you (laughs) like I hate that you're making me doing that you know I'm like complaining and bitching and moaning the whole time because I just didn't want this stupid young white dude telling me what to do you know but as an actor and an actress, you have to be open to that. You have to be willing to cooperate, work, mm-hmm. and do as they say. And I'm like, what am I built for? What am I built for? You know, and I'm like doing all this like stuff. And I realized I was like, I, I you know, I was like, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and that's mm-hmm. what I want to be. I want to be a director or a showrunner. I'm built as a leader. I'm not built to yeah, be yeah. a fucking puppet. Yeah. Mm -hmm, you know for sure i had to be specific too i had to be like what kind of filmmaker i was like cult classic you know not like some fucking mainstream yada yada
1: absolutely absolutely so sorry my cat's getting in on it okay Okay,
0: is this the same cat
1: no this is a different cat um she i got her um when did i get her 2017 Mm mm-hmm yeah. And, okay. um, yeah, she, her, here she is. Hello,
0: Kat. Wow. What's her There's name? the
1: Williamsburg bridge. Ooh. Her name's Karuna.
0: Hi Karuna. She's cute. Yeah.
1: I have, if you ever need to know what the traffic is like on the bridge, I can always tell you right now, will, it's, it's usually always backed up, like going into Manhattan and then but going into Brooklyn, it's usually pretty
0: so are you in the Good. brooklyn part or are you in the manhattan part
1: i'm in the manhattan part oh said. wow yeah wow yeah, yeah. when's
0: That's, the last time you lived in manhattan
1: um the last time i lived in manhattan was in god oh
0: like forever ago probably oh
1: man it was a long time ago i was like because you were in um, brooklyn for
0: a long time and then you were in Queens 1998
1: for, a <laughs> for like a year and i lived in a tenement Oh, Alphabet City? Were you in Alphabet City? No, I was on Bleecker. I was like the worst, the worst on Bleecker Street. It was between Sullivan and Thompson. Wow. Yeah, it was like, you know, where all the double-decker buses of tourists would go. It was like awful. And it was the worst. It was like the horror story apartment that people Talk about in New York City, yeah. Yeah. like what makes New York, City, you know, go. Like, oh, uh-huh. I like survive, you know, like this is yeah. that place. Like it was, um, there was a bathtub in the um, kitchen, yeah, and and then there was like the toilet, which had it, you know, we had our own key to it, so we had oh, to lock, but you had to lock it. It was in the hallway.
0: That's so fucking awful.
1: And the landlords were evil. They were so awful. They were just like mean. Aggressive. They had like a lot of, um, I mean, eventually there was a big like um, tenant strike, rent strike in the Mm. building because it was so bad. And um, when we went to the attorney general, we found out like these people had had tons of lawsuits against them over the years. They're all
0: crooks. Yeah. They're all crooks.
1: Really, really. They're, yeah, they're mean. Andreani is their last name. Just beware. (laughs) Anyone That's the thing. You never forget. Like, you never fucking forget oh, these no, assholes. Forget, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're like long gone because they were like pretty ancient when yeah. I knew them. But like, oh my yeah. god, yeah, they do have offspring. I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they've done better.
0: <laughs> offspring. <these>. <laughs> <laughs> they had more demon children who took that on and <laughs> continue to be these horrible landlords. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I mean, I'm sure it's drastically changed, though, right? I mean, Manhattan's, like, no longer the Manhattan that you knew in the 90s, I'm sure. No. Yeah. 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 Very different. When did... Well, you
1: grew up... Like, where'd you grow up? Did you grow in I grew up in between? Bay
0: Ridge, Brooklyn. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right.
0: And then uh, Rockland County, New York. So right. it was, like, a, yeah. a big, yeah. drastic jump from very mm-hmm. diverse... Like all, literally, my—if you look at these class photos when I was a child, they're like—you have Chinese kids, you have Black kids, you have Latinx kids, you have Eastern European kids, and like half of them were in ESL with me. Mm. And um, and then I fucking moved to Rockland County, New York, and that was like all Irish. Oh wow!
1: Yeah. Everybody's
0: a racist and a conservative. A few Jews, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and that was it. And then it was me. It was a nightmare. I'm like,
1: fuck. Oh man. my god. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's how it goes, you know.
1: But now you're in L.A.
0: Now I'm in are L.A. You like,
1: are you surrounded by Korean people?
0: I have a pocket of Korean-American comedian friends here. I do. Nice. And,
1: awesome. And
0: um, I know a couple of Korean-American filmmakers here. Um, mm-hmm. It took me a long time to feel at home here, though. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, New York was yeah. home for so long. And... I noticed this is like a typical thing. When New York transplants move to LA, they can't stop talking about New York. (laughs) It's very annoying actually. Now that I'm like over that phase, like when I hear Mm -hmm. other New Yorkers come here and talk about New York, I'm like, can you shut the hell up? Like. just just be quiet I know exactly what you're talking about
1: yeah that's when I moved to the Bay Area yeah
0: Uh, oh we're so annoying when we first moved to California I know because it's
1: just like oh New York it's not like New York it's not I mean I don't think I I don't think I ever it was just kind of you get to a point where like either just like shut up and accept where you are or go back and like (laughs) I came back I was just like I can't do this I'm like I hate this place it's not New York I know I'm going I to New York, but I, I know. Yeah. I, moment,
0: I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I yeah. couldn't like get through that hump to. but I'm, uh-uh. I, I'm sure like now that you're, you've moved past that phase. No, it, it be, took, like, really this annoying. is what it took.
0: Like I was here and I was like, I'm only going to go to school. Fucking, it was a nightmare. Like I was like at home all the time. I was depressed. I was like, you know, all this shit. I was like, I hate LA, I hate, hate LA. And then, I, I had to leave LA. I was like, I fucking hate it here. Why am I here? So I moved mm-hmm. to Berlin for a while. And then I was right. like, okay, like Berlin's cool. Like Berlin's a vibe. I like. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved Berlin cause there were so many artists there but there's no capital in Berlin, like in New York and mm-hmm. LA. So everybody's chill. You know what I'm saying? Everybody just focuses on their art because that's fun and they connect with everybody quickly because everybody's an artist and nobody's competing against one another. And I, like, it was so beautiful, that experience. Mm. Um, and then I went to Seoul for nice. a bit to do my research because I was doing field work in Seoul. And then I went back to Berlin for a while and then I came back to LA. And when I first got back to LA, okay. like, I was like, okay, I know now that the United States is number 1 when it comes to showbiz and entertainment. I know this now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, especially for stand-up comedy, no yeah. no, no country beats America. That mm-hmm. I I knew for certain by then cuz I had mm-hmm. toured the world basically and I've done shows yeah, yeah. all over the fucking planet. And I was like, yeah. no. so and I was like I had a deep um respect and reverence for the United States and for New York and LA, but you know, I'm like my shit is in LA. So I got to make peace with it. And initially it was hard, Mm -hmm. but then when the ball started getting rolling and I, you know, I was getting booked at clubs and stuff and I started making more um, comedian friends, it was like better. And now I'm at a point where like I finished my PhD and I'm applying for tenure track jobs, but I really want to stay in LA, you know?
1: Yeah. That's awesome. But when did you start doing stand up?
0: I started while I was in grad school so uh-huh a in mentoring. la yeah, yeah yeah started in la and then um very soon after i started here I, I went to berlin and seoul and you know that's the nice thing about stand-up is like you can go to any city in the world and there is a stand-up
1: community mm-hmm. there
0: and you could do spots you could do shows um and comics just connect with one another very quickly and easily Mm because we're all kind of the same Mm -hmm. species, you know, like Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. we all come from
0: Mm -hmm. trauma and we lack boundaries and (laughs) we're funny and it's like, it's kind of nice. Yeah.
1: That's so awesome. But how did you, so what, what kind of brought you to that first time that you did it? Like, had you tried it before and, or like, what how did the um, yeah, how did you start like what was the
0: so I've like? wanted to do stand up since I was in high school
2: because
0: uh-huh. like since high school, I had a lot of friends like laughing all the time I mean since childhood, honestly, since I was a child, mm-hmm. like a lot of friends who liked me just liked me because I was funny, and mm-hmm. I've wanted to do stand up when I saw that like it was an actual career choice when i noticed it in high school i was like i want to do stand up but i was afraid it is like mm-hmm. the scariest thing to do on earth i think i think it's yeah. the scariest thing to do on earth and i was yeah. just afraid so i started doing all these things that went went around it like even getting mm-hmm. into filmmaking you know was mm-hmm. going around it i mean i you know writing is my first kind of form of expression so that's always yeah. there and I, you know, I've written books, I've translated books, but stand-up is at the core, it's writing. You have to be a good writer.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was just like mm-hmm.
0: afraid and afraid. And I was driving one of the um, Korean American filmmaker women that I told you about here in LA. She was sitting in the backseat of my car and I was driving and I was like, just talking shit. And she was like laughing. In the middle, she goes, have you ever considered stand-up? And I was like, of course I've considered stand-up. Of course I've considered it. <laughs> and she's like, why aren't you doing it? I was like, I was like, because I have morbid stage fright. And then she just looked at me without any any empathy or sympathy whatsoever. Just very dry cut. And she goes, I think you should get over it. And that was all I needed. I just needed this very, you know, like straightforward deadpan push. Like mm-hmm. you're the only one that's standing in your own way, kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
2: And mm-hmm. literally
0: after she said that, I had to go to Helsinki for some academic conference, and I was in the hotel writing jokes. Like awesome. Yeah. And then I think a month later I was at the improv doing a, oh my I, God. I drank like nine vodkas on the rocks the first time <laughs> I went up. I was shit faced. Yeah. But then after, like, three times, I was like, I don't want to be drunk when I'm on stage, you know? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm,
1: it seems mm-hmm. stupid. When you really get to that point where exactly, it's exactly that, like, it just doesn't serve me anymore. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not really getting anything out of this. And that's just, like, you don't even think about it. I mean, it's the same exactly. thing with, like, quitting smoking for me. Yeah. It's just, like, I'm just I'm done. done. I'm
2: Which is crazy.
1: Because I used to love it so I much, you yeah. know? And yeah. Then I was just like, "Ugh, i'm just I'm done, yeah, how was that? I like need, yeah, yeah, it was like it was great. I don't miss it. I mean, I'll have like a glass of wine every once in a while, but yeah, I can't yeah. even oh, I think I was with you one time, and like I tried to have a cocktail, uh-huh. and I was just like, my body is going mm. to like." explode and implode at the same time if i keep trying mm. like i just couldn't it was just at a point it where like it. i don't yeah. even like yeah. the liquor um yeah. i just i was like nope not not even gonna yeah. happen anymore <laughs> so yeah it's fine
0: yeah it's interesting how our bodies just know more you know of mm-hmm. what what it is that i don't know if you're into this stuff like are you into that eight body types thing the constitution thing have you heard of this so, you no. know how in Eastern medicine, you have four body types? They, that's how they separate it. Like when you go to the Hanisa, like the doctor, mm-hmm. he takes your pulse and stuff. Mm-hmm. Started in India, China, went to China, and then spread to Korea and Japan. And it's four body types. It's like East, It's like acupuncture, the whole herbal okay. medicine. All, so, they did it four body types. <clears throat> and then some okay. dude in Korea, a doctor, he made it more specific to eight body types. And mm-hmm. there are some practitioners in New York. If you want, I could recommend you a guy. They have practitioners oh, yeah. here in Los Angeles. All they do is they just take your pulse and then they just tell you what your body type is.
1: Mm-hmm, and
0: mm-hmm. there are all these food groups that you should, or foods that you, sh- you that are good for your constitution.
1: Right, right. Foods
0: that are like yeah. neutral. They have like a delta symbol, and it's like if you're low on energy and if you eat these foods, then it brings your energy up. And then there so are. It's like Ayurveda
1: like ayurveda right maybe but this is but this is is, yeah which started in india but this is yeah yeah yeah. you're you're describing something else too yeah 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 yeah. but it's like essentially that
0: like whatever foods are good for you and bad for you even like certain activities like there are certain Mm -hmm. sports that are good for you other sports you should avoid yeah even Mm -hmm. climate like oh if you want to go on vacation they told me like don't go to like hot humid tropical places because you Mm -hmm. sweat a lot anyway you should be in like cool dry places yeah I, that's like okay. me too yeah 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 Yeah. so yeah. they just tell you these things and um yeah like maybe you know oh and alcohol it was like don't drink any of this like all this alcohol is mm. bad and this was um 2016 when i first learned of all this stuff about myself and he was like i know you like coffee but you might want to give up coffee i was like okay and he was like also um alcohol is bad for you i was like i will quit coffee i'm not gonna quit alcohol but i will quit coffee so in 2016 i stopped drinking coffee i was oh, just wow. like that was hard that was really hard that
1: would be so hard i don't know if i could do
0: that coffee is yeah I a real drug i i was like this yeah. is a real for real drug because
1: mm-hmm. when i quit coffee
0: mm-hmm. all that caffeine and milk because milk has a lot of sugar. I didn't know yeah. this was for sure. It just leaves your body so fast. And uh. the withdrawal from that, not only do you get the headaches, everybody talks about the headaches, but it was also like, I couldn't even sit up straight because my body just had zero energy. I couldn't even sit up straight. I remember I was on the bus, I was like leaning like this. I was like, oh my God, when am I going to get home? And I was taking like 14 hour naps. It was insane. I thought I was dying. <laughs> I was like, I emailed the doctor. I was like, dude, like, I quit coffee and I feel like I'm dying. He's like, like that stuff leaves your body really fast, so t- like drink some Ooh, orange juice, wow. like drink some green tea, and green tea is uh-huh. okay with me. So yeah, um, that's become a whole hobby too. Like I drink green tea all the wow. time. Now. Yeah, huh?
1: Yeah, like I have expensive a green tea, was- like you know, of like course. legit green yeah, tea. Like- <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's some green teas that they give me. I'm like, how is this tea? This just tastes like water. You know, yeah. like. Yeah. Shit anyway
1: damn He's
2: yeah i wonder what that's called them. but
1: that's very similar to ayurveda it's like very similar kind of thing where like there are three they're called like doshas and there's like pitta vada kapha which is fire mm-hmm. is pitta vada is air kapha is earth mm-hmm. and like we have like all of us have all three but um for many of us like one or two or more than it so mm-hmm. like pitta is fire and that also it's um describes like your temperament your body t- type mm-hmm. how you mm-hmm. sleep like how mm-hmm. you digest food and like all this stuff so yeah it's like really and then and then depending on what you need to balance they'll tell you to like eat other foods that would like mm-hmm. so i'm i have a lot of you probably too do too like a lot of pitta so mm-hmm. then we have to like have things that pacify yeah, a little bit yeah. that, that like balance the fire mm-hmm.
0: yeah stuff, balances so. my fire he was like i have a lot of heat in my body so i should avoid like yeah. ginger ginseng garlic like you know everybody thinks ginseng especially koreans they think ginseng is good for you and they like yeah know, yeah ginseng. ginseng is like one right. of the worst things for me it's like mm. poison to me because it's a oh, root wow. and ginseng brings heat up in your body yeah and it's like really bad for me and it's bad for yeah. my dad. It's like the constitution thing is uh, its genetic too. It's inherited from parents. Yeah. Um, but like my mom, she and I are totally the opposite. My mom has like the mm. quote unquote cowboy diet. She could eat like cheeseburgers and bread and drink coffee at midnight and still go to sleep. It's crazy. But like for me, he was like, you can't have any spicy foods because you have too much heat in your body. He's like, you should avoid wheat. You should avoid any bovine related products. I was like, so basically just be unhappy. You mean just like be miserable? Huh? No coffee, no booze, no McDonald's. What the fuck? He's like, potatoes are really bad for you, too. I was like, oh my no, God. I was like, what am I supposed terrible. to eat? He's like, you're supposed to he's like, you're supposed to eat seafood, like ocean fish and greens. I was like, so be hungry. You want me to be hungry constantly. <laughs> and when I first tried to stick to this diet, I was just broke because fish and greens, oh they're not filling and they're really expensive. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't can afford my own diet this is so sad
1: but oh, it, it, it is related
0: to one's uh, personality and sensibilities like they were like yeah you know um, like solitary kinds of activities are better for you I like yes yeah i'm not a good team player <laughs> you know it's like, like a musician or lawyer That's professor i was like yeah okay fine you know they're like it's a very sensitive constitution but creative a writer like, okay, too right okay. right yeah writer like, very solitary yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And Even like trying stand-up, to... Right? Stand-up is a yeah. very lo- lonely thing, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Um, mm-hmm. And it's
0: preferred that way. You know, it's that there's mm-hmm. this... I, I noticed... I, I created this own hi- this hierarchy. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. So if anybody's listening, don't be offended. But it's just my opinion, right? Um, I think at the bottom, you have sketch and improv people. You know, they got to work mm-hmm. in teams and shit, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then right above them, you have the stand-up comedians who don't need anybody. But right above that, Are the clowns? I have a huge respect and admiration (laughs) for clowns because stand ups they need an audience. You know, if the audience doesn't laugh, they get super insecure very fast. But clowns, clowns don't give a fuck whether you're there or not there laughing, crying. Clowns like their their effort their whole effort is to fail at whatever it is that they're trying to achieve and to really you know i'm just like wow like the more i study the tenets of clowning the more clowns i talk to about their philosophy i'm just like in awe i'm like damn
1: and i and you would imagine like as a like for clowns like there's also a certain kind of like you know that there's a there's a level of like societal like there's, there's, they're almost like, like abject and some, you know, it's like, cause I, I'm like, oh, clowns, no mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. you, they're not like, why would I think that's funny? Yeah. But I would imagine if you choose that path, you just be like, yeah, yeah, I'm an outlaw. Yeah. Yeah. They're chaos.
0: Yeah, it's anarchy. <laughs> You know, they just go to a fucking street corner and start like pretending there's a box. I mean, miming is clowning. You know, it's like they're like, oh, so brave. You know, I find I find that courageous and fearless. I'm sure you've seen that show Baskets. Have you seen Baskets?
1: Okay, yeah. So I started we started watching it and I haven't continued, but I should I want to like it's. Mm, the tenets of clowning are fully in there
0: it's fully in there i was like yeah yeah. i was like this show's brilliant like the more i learn Mm -hmm. about clowning i'm like the show is genius you know Mm. even like that show you loved nathan for you weren't you a huge fan of that show was that you no you were you were into um drunk history yeah that's (sighs) the show you're really into that's what you were showing
1: me you know it's so funny because like we haven't talked i mean yeah and i still appreciate that and but like like all of the it's like you keep bringing up these things that are from like this such a like specific time yeah (laughs) but i'm like oh yeah right that yeah that that apartment on in crown Uh uh-huh i love that apartment i I have dreams
0: about it yeah (laughs) it was such a magical place
1: yeah 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 totally yeah but sorry anyway
0: yeah i haven't thought about drunk history for a while but um yeah um i'm just confusing it with that i think you'd find nathan for you pretty interesting it's like this guy he's from canada he has a bachelor's in business something and he just goes to random small businesses and then offers to help them and the ideas that he suggests are ludicrous ludicrous and these people say yes they go with it and it's like so awkward um, it's like cringe, cringe comedy it's like cringe humor uh, yeah. that kind of thing but um, yeah I don't know I'd be interested in hearing what you think you know I made a drunk history nice. video of my own did I tell you
1: this? No. I'll
0: send it to you it's, called, it,
1: please, too. it's yeah. called
0: drunk Korean American history and I, I got shit faced <laughs> drunk this was March 2020 yeah, March or April 2020, oh, I sat shit. in front of my computer. I got fucking wasted and then I started narrating the history of this comedian, Korean-American comedian named Johnny Yoon. Do you know about Johnny Yoon? No. Dude, there was this guy in the 70s who moved to America in his 30s, a Korean guy. He moved to America, became an opera singer, and then What? In New York. He became an opera singer in fucking New York. And then he moved to LA and then just immediately just became a stand up comedian. And he had oh my God. three shows on NBC. Three. What? He had his own variety show on NBC. He had oh, two shit. pilots. He had two series. Yeah. And then, of course, NBC overworked the shit out of him and he had a mental breakdown. And then he like said, fuck you, NBC, and he left. But oh he had God. his own, like, he had his own uh, local. TV variety show that he continued to do with a Korean American audience huh. and he did a couple of movies he wrote his wrote and directed his own movie called they call me Bruce which became a cult classic and uh, yeah he, he died wow. only, he died I think a year ago in a oh, in a wow. home but hmm. there was this dude who had a career Holy shit.
1: and sit in a sitcom
0: in the year 1980
1: wow he was
0: on the tonight show with johnny carson a bunch of times like it's it's amazing i how, had like, no idea yeah.
1: i had no idea
0: we just yeah. don't know our history isn't that that's fucking wild yeah like mm-hmm. we korean americans have a really um how do you say like random and but rich kinds of histories mm-hmm. like all over the world and it's like yeah. once we mm-hmm. find out it's like
1: what, what yeah that's not holy shit yeah. I would love to see. So you, your Drunk History is telling About a him. story?
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm just
1: nice.
0: <laughs> trashed and just doing it the best I could. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, awesome. I was TAing for this um, American TV history course. And the professor was like, can I include your video in there? I was like, no, I don't want my students to see me all shit faced. And <laughs> what is that? I was like, no, no but yeah fucking a can i ask you about your um practice though like yeah what kinds of things do you emphasize in your work what kinds of uh themes do you focus on uh, methods or what philosophy do you have
1: yeah you mean like my clinical work therapeutic Mm -hmm. work um totally um i mean i guess like um what sort of like led into it was teaching, right? When I was working with kids in schools and doing like video and digital photography, digital media. Um, And I never had any interest in, I mean, you know, it's cool if they can like learn some good skills and become proficient or whatever, but I really didn't give a shit about that. Mm -hmm. It was really much more about like, how can these tools be useful in helping you make sense of who you are and your Mm -hmm. world and and um, and work through all the shit that's going on inside of you. Right. Um, And so eventually and then that was like I was doing the project with immigrant youth in Queens and um, and I was just kind of always wanting to do more for these kids like this is just I'm like this is great but I mean in the end it's like who cares like I started to really question um you know and this is personal and it's not a judgment mm-hmm. on other people who obviously like I mm-hmm. think art is important and it's mm-hmm. needs to be you know and all of but for me personally it was like I why I can't it was it's like the same reason why I could never get into like feature filmmaking because yeah. I was like why would I make up a bunch of stories about, you know, like when when there's shit, real shit, going on in the world, and right. I, I feel like I need to be more directly engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I love feature films. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, it's like nothing, you know. But personally, I was just sort of like, what, like, what's the meaning behind all of this? And in the end, like, because I didn't, I wasn't interested in playing the whole like schmoozy, networky get your you know ever yeah. so i i was like yeah. i really need to figure out what uh, what i'm actually doing and and um and then i was also kind of like deepening into like my spiritual practice and, mm-hmm. and meditating and um mm-hmm. learning more about buddhist psychology and mm-hmm. and then it was just like things were like oh okay this this is starting to like slowly like the path started to like be unearthed like as i was sort of getting out of the way of what need what was really underneath that so mm. um yeah so it kind of led into into being like one day realizing that what i was doing was similar to what therapists do and um and a lot of my teachers at that time were therapists who i really admired the way that they work so that kind mm. of started it and that was sort of how i when i first got interested in in doing the work of helping people it was like a fascination with like similar and and as an artist right you're interested in the psyche and you're interested mm-hmm. in like images and symbology and the unconscious and um how to sort of how to make meaning of that in your life and how do we use that to heal how are we you know when we experience trauma what are the ways that we actually find ways to heal through it and so that like all of that was really like a part of my my fascination into looking at and I, originally it was like really interested in what's called like psychodynamic, mm-hmm. um, which is more and like and kind of like psychoanalysis, which is more mm-hmm. like looking at the unconscious and mm-hmm. symbols. And I thought, you know, that's kind of where I would go. But mm-hmm. um but then, when I was in social work school, I ended up getting um, my second year internship at this place called the Ackerman Institute, um, which was family therapy. And you know, it was like a very sort of everybody's like, "Oh, it's such a like prestigious thing. You should go." Hmm. You know, so I was like, "Cool. I have no idea if I want to be a family therapist. I don't know hmm. if I'm even going to like it, right. but I'll try." And um, and it was a really different way of working. It was a really different it was like a total paradigm shift, like moving from working individually into like into relationships and and understanding how um the internal life of the psyche is is also co-created with and by relationships, right? And and I was like this is so fascinating because it's like all of that's still happening and all of that's in the room, but then we're also, we're not, um, you know, as a therapist, like you're not in this sort of privileged position. You know, I think there's, there's a power differential um, that's often too elevated. I think in, in, you know, traditional Western forms of therapy where like the therapist is like all all knowing and, Mm -hmm. you know, but in family or in systemic work, it was like, there was it was very equalizing where it was like Mm -hmm. the problem is not in like one person Mm -hmm. the problem is created through the dynamics and Mm -hmm. it's it's relational and i'm just as a therapist i'm just one piece of like helping to facilitate like how deeper like understanding or like movement and relationships and yeah it was just a really different way of working and um and I was working with this one family. It was actually a family of artists. There was a, um, the wow. mom was a dancer and the dad was a filmmaker and the kids were like so creative. And Wow. Um, there was one kid with a lot of learning differences who was kind of when they come came in, like he was sort of like what's often called the identified client. Like he was the problem. So the mom was like, Uh, lots of stories about how problematic like this Mm -hmm. kid is and her relationship and you Mm -hmm. know so of course we're already first we're questioning that Um, Mm -hmm. you know and you're listening to their concerns Mm -hmm. and validating but also like well probably more than just like this kid was born created all the problems exactly exactly yeah (laughs) um yeah, and then it was kind of working with them and, and being able to, like, do creative things and, like, integrate the meditation sometimes or, like, use, like, mm-hmm. the language of, and, like, understand them as artists as well mm-hmm. and, like, the family's creative life. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's also, you know, in family therapy like, we're bringing everything in the room. Like, all these things yeah. are really important to them. So I think, like, when I started to see some shifts and how the mother in particular was able to, like... um the shifts in her and her way of um, understanding or being more curious about her child and how that changed the relationship for the whole family. Um, mm-hmm. well, like when I started to see that, I was like, okay, this is really amazing. So, mm-hmm. so I just sort of, since then I, I just, I've only been training in um, family systems therapy. So that's, you know, but I do individual therapy as well, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of very informed by the sort of interdependence of Mm -hmm. relationships that are always at play. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's takes pathology out of it. So you're not, Mm -hmm. you're like, I mean, you know, sometimes diagnosis is helpful. Sometimes it's, you know, it's helpful to have something you can really name and have a, sort of context to make sense of what's going on and some that's helpful for medications. All of that is, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not the only thing, right? So we, it has to be like in conjunction with lots of, you know, resources and, and your relationships and, you know, creativity or humor and like all yes. these things. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I, now I, I see in my private practice it's primarily couples and and some individuals um every once in a while i get a family case um but that's kind of yeah I, I sort of all of that's um how i primarily how i practice but i also like you know the contemplative psychotherapy and the the buddhist psychology is always there because it's mm. sort of just embedded in how i see and um, understanding things and then um, and definitely like the social justice lens and understanding mm-hmm. um, how our experiences of systemic oppression, racism homophobia transphobia like also really impact um, all, all of this right and what mm-hmm. might be happening for us and what's happening in relationships so I right you know when I say like, I was seeing a family where there was a um, adult trans child and with the with their sibling there was a lot of um, there is there is a lot of like veiled and sometimes not so veiled transphobia Mm. happening although there's a lot of language around like oh i'm very accepting like you know but like to Mm. be able to actually get underneath um and challenge some of that Mm -hmm. so as a family therapist you're a little bit more you can be more active and Mm. be a little bit more on the like when and when necessary so sometimes you know i'll sort of um you know step in and and try, there's a there's a bit of like, how can we understand the ways that our power, our, our identities of um, both, you know, um, marginalization, but also privilege mm-hmm. and are always at play and how that mm-hmm. impacts our, how we understand each other, our capacities to, to be in relationship with each other. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's definitely, you know, I'm always thinking about that as well Hmm. so um yeah so interesting it's fun that's good no
0: like i love everything you're saying here especially when you were talking about like that big aha moment when you realize like oh this um this the identity creation or the formation of your your coming into being is it, it it happens with your external environment and the people who are around you um I've been reading a lot of autobiographies by like artists and filmmakers. Like um, I read uh, Ingmar Bergman's autobiography Mm -hmm. recently, The Magic Lantern, have you read this book? No. I think you would love this book,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, The
0: Magic Lantern. I'm not a Bergman fan per se. Like Uh I respect respect him as an auteur but I'm not a fan of his movies per se. Mm -hmm. I love his writing. And um, and I also watched this uh, documentary about David Lynch. It's like a profile on David Lynch. And again, David Lynch, I respect him as an auteur. I'm not necessarily a fan of all of his works, like all these mm-hmm. white boys are, but I'm a big fan yeah. of his mind. And mm-hmm. in both of these, um, these things, these autobiographies or bios, they talk about their parents a lot and their sibling mm-hmm. a lot, like, that is such a like first and core construction of who you are. It's like, and you see that in every single autobiography, they talk about their parents first. It's like, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. does, where does everything that we're trying to break out of and prove wrong or prove against come from, it comes from parents. Yeah. And, um, I see Mm -hmm. this time and time again and, um, I was thinking a lot about like Korean dramas and how almost every single Korean drama starts out with the orphan trope. The protagonist is always an orphan, always, always, you know? And I was like, why, why, Mm. why are they an orphan? You know? And like, yeah, you got other things. It's like, okay, well, Korean war trauma. And like, there were a lot of orphans, a lot of adoptees, you have that. But then you also have like, from, from like an artistic standpoint, You have to kick out the parent. You got to kick out the authority in your mind. You got to break out of them. You know, you got to break out of their influence somehow. It's like almost an impossibility because their influence is always there. Like for instance, I was Mm -hmm. um, I was drawing a bunch of dinosaurs when I was (laughs) most recently on acid. I was like drawing a dinosaur over and over again Uh, because I had asked my intention was I want to become fearless. I was like, Mm -hmm. how do I become fearless? And the answer was. Be brave. <laughs> it was very simple. <laughs> and did the I remember dinosaur
1: say that to you? Or a like dinosaur you said that
0: to me one time. Like I, I, I was at my baby cousin's house when I was in middle school and she was watching the Rainbow Fish video, like a DVD. Uh-huh. And after the Rainbow Fish movie, there was another movie like attached to this. And it was like about a dinosaur and some kids and these kids were afraid. And this big dinosaur showed up and said, be brave, like singing a song. And I was dying laughing. I thought it was just the funniest thing I've ever seen. I don't know why, but it cracked me up, this big dinosaur telling the kids to be brave. And I was burned in my memory, but I had forgotten about it until that moment when I was like tripping and drawing dinosaurs, telling myself to be brave. and while I'm drawing, right, and I'm picking colors, I'm like fighting with my dad, mm. you know? My dad being like, why are you using dark colors right now? You should be using lighter mm. colors. I'm like, fuck you, dad, fuck you, man. I'm gonna draw whatever the fuck I want, you know? Uh, but I'm also like questioning, I'm like, oh, should I? Should I? Oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. stressful, it's stressful as hell, mm. you know? But it was just like mm-hmm. this moment of learning, like the parent is always in there. The oh, critical voice yeah. is, the parent, the authority figure in your mind, the God figure in your mind, but it's like, what I've learned to do recently is, you know, sometimes like that critical voice gets particularly loud in your head, like
2: Mm -hmm.
0: really loud, you know, like uh, in May, right when I was finishing up my dissertation and I was about to graduate, I was in New York actually, and my brain kept saying, you've done everything wrong in your life every single step you took was an incorrect step and it was just like bashing the shit out of me right
2: Mm. and i was like
0: why is this voice so loud and i Mm -hmm. realized oh it's because i'm doing all the things that i want to do like um i finished my dissertation i finished my phd i'm working on a new book that i really wanted to work on i'm doing stand-up comedy more than ever i'm taking Mm. a break i'm i'm gonna get on unemployment and i'm gonna just take a break for a while i'm just gonna coast for a while right yeah things that um i was socially told and told to to never ever do to always be Mm -hmm. afraid of to always question Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and since i was doing that that voice got it was like the volume was super loud on that so all i knew all i said to myself was whenever this voice is loud it just means i'm on the right track And as I started to do that, Mm
2: -hmm. code
0: switching more, I I was able to get more at peace. I needed to incorporate other things, you know, like I, I have a, cognitive behavioral therapist you know like mm-hmm, i take mm-hmm. psychedelic medicines not often but every once in a while when i need to i yeah, I, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I journal regularly i meditate regularly i do eft the do you know eft emotional freedom technique yeah tapping? Oh, do th- that, oh
1: oh yeah i yeah, do yeah. okay yeah i do that
0: because i have mm-hmm. ptsd so i do that
1: okay i do mm-hmm.
0: i draw a lot you know art is another you know way of um, keeping that stuff in check. So I do all of those mm-hmm. things to mm-hmm. balance things out and tell myself that's that awesome. I'm safe. Yeah. And and that voice that's got great. lower. But I mean, what do you think of this whole like thing with the orphan and the parent dynamic and that critical voice? I mean, yeah.
1: That's so interesting about the the orphan story. That's such, it sounds like it's such a trope. Yeah. I don't know what that's yeah. about because there's such shame in Korean culture around orphans and, Yes. and and even the what led up to that, right? Like yeah. um, the hated waste. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole thing that we can think about this. Sure. It's like yeah. they're
0: the most free from
1: yeah. all yeah. of that
0: shit. They are the they are designed for nonconformity.
1: You know, right? We think right, but then it's like. Yeah. Um, my cat has an opinion on this. Hold on. She's <laughs> <It's> really active. <laughs> um, she was an orphan too. Um, Oh, that's fine. Yeah. All's good. Um, no, but I, I, you know, it's like, so some of the work that I do at Ackerman too is, is with, um, this group called the foster and foster kind adoption project and mm-hmm. an understanding even separation right from your birth parents is a trauma mm, obviously yes, yes no matter what even right. as an infant there's a, yep. you've already experienced the trauma and yep. um and that is somatic it's carried with you there's also um, you know so i think that kind of that experience and that um that memory um, and that trauma li- you know is lived out even as the child grows older and mm-hmm. um and is adopted by loving family it's still mm-hmm. very present yeah. um and then we also there's a lot around like epigenetics and intergenerational trauma sure. so yes. stuff that like that that child's yeah. you know birth family mm-hmm. if you go up generations there's stuff mm-hmm. that's carried on mm-hmm. right so yeah there's this kind of fantasy it's just like this really naive mm. fantasy that the mm. um orphans starting from scratch and it's like and, mm. you know but maybe that's they're using that as a way to mm. avoid um all of the uh the backstory right yeah, the, yeah that's that's so interesting maybe um that's really interesting I, yeah i think you could do like a whole study around I think you know it's, uh, yeah. You know, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean I think it's also like po like in like post war Korea. Yeah. Like, and like what the orphan trope means. That's yeah, it's so interesting.
0: When I when I've been reading these books about like um the whole Adoption systems that were created in the aftermath of the Korean War, and that how it Mm -hmm. was used for making the United States seem less racist to other nations during the Cold War, and how these Asian babies were used as a way to be like, oh, well, white families are more likely to adopt an Asian baby because they're lighter skinned over a black baby, Mm. and how that it was just like, I was like, oh my God, like this is. It's just the layers of um, yeah. injustice and, you know, I mean, evil or, or whatever you want to say, call it, but it's
1: like white supremacy culture.
0: It's like literally white supremacy yeah. culture that made yeah. Asians like this middle person at right. all times. Like it never stopped and right. never, ever, right, ever right. stopped, you know, mm-hmm. and it was always to not deal with their anti-blackness. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. And the fact that Asians mm-hmm. were always used for that purpose is what makes yeah. me so enraged a lot of the yeah. times when I'm yeah. reading those kinds of histories. There's a good mm-hmm. book by Susie Wu called Framed by War that was like really mm. illuminating. It's a very well-written book. And I think she's like an American study, Americans, American studies person, but mm-hmm. um, such a good book. But yeah, it's like sad as hell reading that stuff. But yeah, I mean, what you're saying is bringing a lot of other thoughts to mind yeah like epigenetics is real you know um inherited trauma is real there's like memory that is like in the dna that may not be Mm -hmm. conscious or even subconscious Mm -hmm. but it's in there and um you know it's just part of our whole evolution and uh Mm
2: -hmm.
0: it's like echoes of trauma that continue down like generation after generation and it just really tells you like you know, there are ways to like, it's like, why, why should I care for myself and love for myself and bring myself to a good neutral kind of state? Oh, it's so that I don't pass on bad shit to the next,
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: generation, Mm -hmm. not only that, but to the people around you, you know, so it's like, love for the self is really love for everybody, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. um, Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah,
0: that was, like, a whole, like, thing. You know, when I was, like, judging people, I would, like, judge people, Mm -hmm. right? All of that is just, you know, (laughs) you pointing finger right at yourself, right? It's like... Yeah, yeah. All of that is interrelated. But I was even thinking maybe there are some orphans in families, you know? Like, I -hmm. have a younger brother. I feel like an orphan in my family a lot of the times, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, this is very common among Korean families, too, which I'm sure you know, Mm -hmm. but, like... Um, my parents left me at my relatives' place or my grandparents' place a lot when I was four years old. It was a very. Were
1: you were you yeah. in Korea?
0: I was in Korea. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: I was born in right. Korea, and I yeah. grew up there for five years yeah. of my life. So, four mm-hmm. years old, like you have memory, you know, mm-hmm. you know what it feels like to be left behind. There's right. no explanation for it, even though they explain it. You're four. You can't process. Anything. Yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that stays mm-hmm. with you. And mm-hmm. like, when I read these orphan trope things and watch them or whatever, it's like I can relate. You know who else talks mm-hmm. about it a lot? Do you know David Cho or David Che? He's that artist. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the exact totally. same thing happened to him. But he was a middle child. Whoa. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> middle son, three sons, <laughs> middle boy. Whoa. Oh. No. And they shipped him off. They shipped him off to fucking Korea too. He was born in LA. They sent him to fucking Korea with his grandfather. And they're just like, be there for a little while. But it's like, why does that happen? Poverty Mm -hmm. is the reason why, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's also lack of education. Parents just don't know that doing that, oh, stay
1: with everybody forever. They don't realize. Right. You know, I mean, so many parents, I mean, but especially, I think, like, in the demographic that we're talking about, and I think other, you know, where it's like, it's for a long time been very, like, privileged information to have, like, all of the sort of the cutting edge information, you know, like, how to be the best parent and, like, attuned and attached in a way that's going to create, like, secure attachment for your child, like, a lot of people don't have access to that information. And especially, like, art, I mean, we're talking about, like, immigrant Families, forget about it. I mean, you're just trying to survive, right? Like day mm-hmm. to day. So
2: there's, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, in my family, we weren't. I was born in the U.S. We didn't have any Korean family nearby, so that wasn't an option. Um, but there was definitely like, you know, I think. I think across um, race racial lines, like family share this similar thing where there's just that your parents are working really hard there's just no time for feelings there's no time to we like, like have sad feelings or angry there's yeah. just like no one gives a shit you know yeah. so it's just you've got to like work it out and I think that's yeah. another you know it's it's not a um a perfect scenario but it's like our basic needs are met Right, like I never, yeah. I was never worried. And and mm-hmm. my parents, I know, like we're doing the best they could at that time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think like we have to do our own work um, and not to fault our parent, you know, but we have yes. to, you know, like what you're saying, like the reparenting or caring yeah. for myself or like yeah. understanding like what my needs are emotionally, like what my wounding was, what my work is and my healing. And like, mm-hmm. then how do I, take responsibility for myself and that in this way to care for myself and also find the relationships, you know, that are going to be supportive, you know, um, to me and what I deserve and what I, you know, what I feel like I, um, mm. what I've needed. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, but yeah, I mean, when I, when we were in Korea um, and when I was learning about Han and mm-hmm. um, sorry,
0: and making all that <laughs> amazing video work yeah. around Han was yeah. fucking and incredible. At,
1: and looking at the, both are like the philosophical Han, but also like Han is like the you know that bitterness, mm-hmm. the longing, the sadness, mm-hmm. resentment, I, resentment. Yeah, yeah, like I really got it. I mean, I really now I was like, oh, I totally mm-hmm. understand. You know, yeah. and and not, it wasn't in a, any kind of like essentializing way it was mm-hmm. like i get koreans so much more now and i get my parents so much more now yeah you know like i think that the whole especially for like i don't know if this happened if you could see this in your family but like i think as like korean and asian immigrant mm-hmm. uh, immigrants in particular I mean east asian like the experience of like depression mm-hmm. and melancholy mm-hmm. right which is kind of like the sort of internalized rage and anger it's repressed huh? yeah 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 mm-hmm. like that that just feels so so it's prevalent when i everywhere. think about,
0: like it's like yeah. in the furniture it's like in the food like uh my maternal grandmother who who was raising me when i was like 4 years old and i i was very close to her when i was child she um is a mess. She's a slob. Like everything is a disarray, disorder, chaos, hoarding. It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. My mom is similar. My mom's older sister is similar when I go to their houses. My dad is the opposite. He's like OCD. Everything needs to be clean. Everything needs to be perfect. He's like, you know, Marine man, right? Like he was in the Marines. So he's like that. Mm-hmm. So whenever my mom's just lounging at home just watching TV and then we hear my dad you know, walk in into the driveway or we hear the car pull up or we hear the keys. My mom starts freaking out. She's I'm like, i clean everything, mm. clean everything. Your father's home, right. Like that was the thing. And then one day my grandmother says to me, Oh no, my, my aunt, she says to me, I went to the doctor about the messiness in the house. And the doctor said, it's a form of depression. I was mm. like, oh. I was like, mm. so my money's depressed. My mom is depressed. She's depressed.
1: Oh, wow. and, uh,
0: my mom's very, like, you know, like, she's the kind of person who shuts down rather than blow up, you know? My dad's the opposite. He blows up all the time. So it's like, yeah, yeah like, even though they say, don't say words, like you were talking about the, the transphobic sibling, even though they, yeah. they say certain things, what the, feel, the feeling that emanates and the feeling that's yes. received on the other end is totally right. different. Mm-hmm. And that is the real thing to that person. The words barely yeah. matter
1: you know exactly. that the feeling is what stays
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah there's a chart there's an energy to it there's a charge and an energy a vibe you know and vibe. that yeah. that is totally it's undeniable and it's yeah yeah it's, it's undeniable felt, right yeah
0: so yeah, it's why, like you know, when we look at sure. these, like, um, the diversity statement that I have to fucking write every time I write a an application for these tenure track positions, oh. a diversity statement. You know, I'm like, why do I have to write a diversity statement? Why don't you show me your diversity statement? You know, it's just to see if I'm safe going into your goddamn institution. It's yeah. so everything's so backwards, but it's like they use mm-hmm. words, right? Like this whole intellectual mm-hmm. community is about using words, words, yes. words, words, words. Yeah. But it's yes. like words totally. are limited. You know there's a big limitation to-, to words totally
1: i mean especially in this stuff we're talking do you know have you read my grandmother's hands by resume mannequin really good really really good shit. so
0: my grandmother's um, hand
1: my no my grandmother's hands let me find that oh my
0: grandmother's hand book. okay
1: yeah it's um this is the what it looks oh, like oh okay
0: it's a beautiful cover
1: um racialized trauma and the, and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies. So Resna Manichem is a, he was actually trained as a social worker and trauma therapist and a somatic mm-hmm. experiencing therapist. Um, he's a Black cisgender guy, he's based in Minneapolis, but um, he's kind of like getting really, he's sort of blown up in the mm-hmm. therapy field and like mm-hmm. anti-racist work. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause his whole thing is about um, like understanding uh, racialized trauma and experiencing experiences of race as embodied and somatic mm. and that we privilege language and even feelings too much. Uh. Right. And that actually the stuff is a lot in our bodies. So yeah. like, um, so he does all of these, I'm in this, um, he develops this, um, practice called Somatic Abolitionism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm in, I've been doing this nine month Somatic Abolitionism um, training program for coaches and therapists and learning these ways of like being able to work with like our own experiences of like racialized harm and trauma in our body. And it's so like, it's so, the first thing is like letting go of the story yeah. Because we get so caught up in, like, oh, this is what happened to me. Right. Yeah. And so, and when we just, when we're so stuck in just telling the story, yep. we're just sort of stuck in that experience. Our yes. bodies are stuck. Like, we're trapping just sort of ourselves, re- reliving yeah. it over and over. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. how do we release it? How do we, like, mm-hmm. how do we begin to actually, like, metabolize and work for ourselves? Right. Not yeah. even, like, yeah. you know, I mean, just to be able to, like, um, heal and, and to live and metabolize. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when we talk about like, what is liberation look like? What is liberatory practice look like? Right. We have to mm-hmm. start right here in our entire like mind body system. And so, um, it has been amazing to like, cause I've, you know, I've been in a lot of different kinds of like healing groups and, and anti-racist groups and, um, and trainings and this and that, but it's like this work. I I can't even really like when I try to explain it, it's like words don't even really, yeah, do it justice. I'm sure. Cause I'm like I don't because sure. I also don't know exactly how it happened. It was just really like yeah, I was feeling. I had I know that when I started the program, I was carrying a lot of stuff yeah. from like experiences. Yeah. I mean especially yes. like post co during COVID. Uh-huh. You know, and, and all of the like the horrible shit happening to yeah. East Asian people and particularly yeah. women and like yeah. um you know stuff that people were saying, you know, groups I was uh-huh. involved in and shit uh-huh. I was like experiencing and um so I knew that I was hold I had holding a lot of like yeah. rage, anger and fear when I started this program as we started over the months, I don't even really know how, there wasn't like one moment, but it was like gradually doing these practices, doing it in community. Um, and then it's all sort of learning how to process somatically and, mm-hmm. and not rely on language and story. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to start to attune to like these different intelligences of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And one of them is is vibration, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm -hmm. Um, another one is affect another one Mm -hmm. is like images or meaning making or you know so like you begin to sort of process and speak in this different way and then and do it with other people in community where you're being witnessed and people are responding to and then like over time it just all of that stuff doesn't have the same chart like it was released like somehow just didn't have this grip on me that it did and I don't there wasn't like one day where it was like, oh, there, there it went, you know. I'm like totally done. Yeah. It was just sort of like very gradually. I was like, okay, like I can, yeah. And now I can actually tell the story, and it's not triggering. Yeah. it's not you know, I can, I can just describe it. It's just facts, right? It's not. Yeah. Like, and I can you still, have, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can
0: detachment yeah. from it. Yeah.
1: And an agency, right? I have agency. Yes. or, experience where it's not driving me like I'm I can be in charge of how you know this goes so we like socially
0: we need more people like you doing this kind of work because there are a lot of people on our side
2: fellow Mm -hmm. progressives and
0: liberals Mm -hmm. fellow mindful folk who are caught up in the narrative so hard that all they do is retrap themselves over and over and over again and there's Mm -hmm. this big uh, misconception of disempowerment or limitations being empowerment and Mm -hmm. a real bizarre kind of ideation that being angry equals wokeness
1: yeah yeah right i'm just like
0: I've been reading like Loretta Ross's writings a lot. I took a course that she was offering, and she's all about, like, you know, how do we get out of this angry, resentful state of mind? Because it's no Mm -hmm. way to live, you know? Staying Mm -hmm. there is no way to live. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, I kept asking people during the whole Me Too movement, I was like, what comes after Me Too? There was Mm -hmm. just more rage, more anger, more blame, more anger. And the thing about anger is, and I'm sure you know this, is like there's no end to anger Mm. and rage. It just keeps piling on more and more and more, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like you got to figure out a way to transmute that, shift it to the progressiveness. If we want to call ourselves progressive, let's move Mm -hmm. forward, not keep building more bricks with The narrative, the system's against us. The forefathers designed it this way. You know, we are all Mm -hmm. marginalized. It's like, okay, all of that just makes you feel more trapped and disempowered. And that's how I felt when I met with my financial advisors two days ago. There's this thing called Brunch and Budget. Amazing group, amazing team, amazing philosophy. But when they're trying to give me like financial advice, they keep inserting lectures like, oh, Mm. the system's designed to be against you. Oh, yeah, you have every right to be angry. And I just told him, I was like, I feel worse having this meeting Mm -hmm. with you than I did just Mm -hmm. sitting on my couch not thinking about any of this. I was like, Mm -hmm. I wish you had brought me more information to offer me hope and relief rather than
1: re-trigger
0: all this stuff that I keep level through all the fucking work that I do. And I had to give him that talk because I was fully triggered and I was fully enraged. And after the meeting, it, you know fucking suicidal thoughts because i just realized how devalued i am you know what i mean so Mm. i had to just tell them give them feedback be like you're doing this incorrectly just so you know i know your intentions are good
2: yeah the way you're doing
0: it is incorrect because it's actually making the clients feel less empowered you know were they able
1: to hear that
0: initially no and i had to Mm. tell her i was like okay when you keep cutting me off (laughs) She was being defensive. I was like, when you keep cutting me off, then like I we could just end this meeting because yeah. you're not letting me speak. But she mm-hmm. that feedback helped her and she listened to good. me. Good.
1: Good. But um good. yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I think the other thing we people like us need to keep in mind is power is something that can't be given or taken mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. It's there at all times. Our default yeah. Baseline as an existence, as a living being, is power it's energy mm-hmm. it's something that mm-hmm. can't be taken away there are multiple realities at work at all times that one layer of reality being something we have to acknowledge the neoliberal neo-colonial the systems against us yeah that is fucking real you know racism and patriarchy that's all real that's that is a layer of reality and we have to acknowledge it but there's another mm-hmm. layer of reality that exists in you that is never ever going to go away which is that
2: mm-hmm. you are
0: inherently of value
2: Absolutely, like
0: of love, of good Mm -hmm. things, yeah, of light, and I feel like that's something that a lot of us don't fucking realize or know.
1: Mm You know? Yeah, it's interesting because I, hundred percent, and I, um, I'm very intentional around when I do when I do work with groups and talking about race and racial identity and racialized trauma it's that it's so critically, I mean, there's one, there's one part of it. Um, it's almost like developmental, right? So like sometimes when people are first, um, you know, if you identify as a person of color or, um, a, you know, person of a global majority, um, mm. that you, there, there's first a lot of anger, right? When there's this sort of realization phase of like, Mm -hmm. this is happening and, and yeah. And I think that we have to be able to have a, a, an expansive um, complex understanding of, of anger and the role of anger. And um, one of my teachers and um, Lama Rod Owens wrote a book called love and rage. And it's exactly talking about like, how to skillfully work with mm. experiences of anger, especially mm-hmm. as um, someone who's BIPOC and and mm-hmm. um, of a sort of, you know, marginal, marginalized mm-hmm. identity and marginalized mm-hmm. in the US, right? So, mm. um, so, so we, yes, we'd have to do that. But it's, we also, that's, that's just like part of, like, we can't just walk around with all, because the, if you don't, then move towards something that is um that is also like replenishing and and made from like resilience then the anger will eat you alive and like mm-hmm. that is also you know and and we see this all the time in like different like especially with with certain activist groups and like where it's just like and, or just you know in the me too movement where it's like the the mm-hmm. sort of like Mm-hmm. Whole okay now you know what's the the Audre Lorde quote where you're like you can't um can't use the master's tools right mm-hmm. like when but it's like people are just sort of like exactly the same you know it's like so so I think using the you know I'm much more interested in what's the language of resiliency and yeah. homeless yeah right and yeah. and because like when you think about like us when I think about you know. In, the, in those moments um, in the past year, the like horrific um, uh-huh. murders in Atlanta uh-huh. when all uh-huh. of it was happening, yeah. and like here in my own in my neighborhood, yes. I mean, just you- like even I mean a little bit still now. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you, I could walk out. I'm not really sure yes, ever, yeah. what could happen, mm. right? But like, do I walk around with this like kind of you know this this sense of like the trauma and the fear and like the thing that helped me. Um, actually that, that was just like this, it was like this force against this, this like real, like protective force was actually remembering my ancestors and Mm. the pride of like, Mm -hmm. of Korean people, you know, like the pride of my, the beauty, um, the spirituality, the faith, the, like all of these things of my, my grandmother my aunts and uncles my you know and just thinking about like that like these people are amazing you know and like my parents and i you know and then i was just like fuck this like i this Mm -hmm. is what i'm made of like Mm -hmm. i'm not you know it's like yeah i mean i'm gonna go out there and remember all of this Mm -hmm. because that's the way that you know white supremacy culture works is It's there to deplete, right? And to subjugate. And we can, we can, um, we have agency in that, right? But we have to also, you know, kind of get out of those systems and also like psychically, emotionally divest, right? From, From the narratives, from the stories. and and i you know i think it's like finding the communities of other people who are who are invested in in and doing this kind of work right doing this healing work and doing the restorative work doing the resiliency work um you know it's like i don't want to talk about like my subjugated identity i want to talk about my resilient identity yeah yeah right that's what i'm interested that's what i'm interested in talking to young people about and families right that uh-huh. you know and, and resma in his trainings um you know it's almost like a mantra when people yeah. are coming forward with these stories of like their own racialized trauma uh-huh. you know he he just says you are not defective
0: yeah and everybody you are not has defective. it yeah.
2: yeah
1: it's
0: like it literally it it, yeah. it hurts everybody that racialized trauma it hurts Absolutely. white people too
2: that's oh, the thing yeah. that they
0: don't realize. Even uh, uh, exactly. misogyny yeah. and sexism and rape, it hurts the victimizer yeah. just as much as the victim. That's I, yes, the other thing absolutely. that people overlook absolutely. all the times. Absolutely. Um, when you were talking yeah. about like that force with the ancestor stuff, I was like getting so emotional. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's like, you know, you mentioned like white supremacy makes it clouds our vision. It, it makes us forget that part. It like mm-hmm. severs oh, that yeah. disconnects us, dislocates us mentally and yeah. emotionally like that, spiritually like right? that
1: it's one of the ways it works, yeah yes. it's so it right. goes deep,
0: that's what it means, yes. it goes fucking deep, you know, and yeah. um
2: yeah,
0: it's like remembering home too, like right yeah. um mm-hmm. i i I just kind of picked this up in random, it was like a queer anthropologist studies person. They were like, home is not a place you try to go back to. Home is a place Mm. you try to arrive at. I was like, oh my Mm. God, like the profundity Mm -hmm. of that. I was like, oh. yeah. (laughs) But that's the thing. We got to create a vision for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Where do we want to get to? That's right. Got to write it out and envision it, feel it,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: and keep going there rather than look back and be pissed off constantly you know yes Um, yes i love everything you're saying i feel like this is everything that i wanted to um touch on i was like i was like i don't know exactly what i want to ask helen but you know i trust that like uh (laughs) she knows she knows she's been here she knows she gets it you know (laughs) last year i was dealing with a lot of like around this time october last year i was dealing with like Um, trauma around race in a
2: classroom
0: Mm. in a Mm. position where I was being treated like this middle person the middle minority but the way I was being treated in that room was like I was being treated like a cis white man you know and uh, Mm -hmm. that was really traumatic and I had migraines for 12 days and that's when I was like I I have to uh, write greeting cards to people that Mean something to me, and you were on the list. Mm-hmm. I was like, I should write a letter to uh, Helen, too, you know. Because I was, was just like, I, I feel like yeah. um, I just kind of yeah. intuitively, instinctively knew I was like, I feel like she has some insight into the answer to this problem. Because at mm-hmm. the time, I was just kind of like stuck in the whole uh, rage stuff, but I was trying to get out of it. I was like, What's the mm-hmm. answer to this? Where's the relief here, you know? Mm-hmm. But that was the start of yeah. that. Like, once you start questioning that you're able right. to find the path outward. So
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: thank you for all this illuminating stuff. It, it's so much here. And thank you for that book recommendation. I, I Yeah, read yeah,
1: for sure. Definitely yeah, read he, it. Um, I'll send you like, um, I'll send you another resource. So he, has these groups he works with a group called the education for racial equity
2: yeah
1: and they actually have like these year-long um there's there's another program called communal consultations
2: Mm.
1: where so i mean if you're interested in learning about somatic abolitionism i'm going to send you like an interview that he did too where you can like because it's really like i think it's the way it's like
2: Mm -hmm. you
1: know we need all the other we need the policy changes we need all the like you know how to be an anti-racist like people need to read that stuff and that's important Uh and we need like embodied human person-to-person relational way of that's like the deep deep interpersonal you know and like internal healing like that has to be done and it's so it's much about absolutely necessary you know yeah like having a vision having you know having like a vision of of like our fullness and uh-huh. living into it and actually yeah. just tapping into it because it's here yeah. right and it is. yeah and and knowing that that's and to make that choice like this is how this is the conversation I'm having. I don't know what exactly. conversation you're going to have, but exactly. I'm not interested in that. So I'm not going to have that conversation
2: anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that too. Yeah. You have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, people yeah. think that like, you know, other things and other things dictate what we're going to think and say and feel. It's like, no, 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 that could right. happen. But you can always come back to yourself and be like, what am I going to choose to think and feel and say right now? Mm-hmm. Right. We That's always right. have a choice, and that is that in and of itself is immensely liberating. Yes. Oh, love this. Yeah. Oh my God, all kinds of like, <laughs> I'm in it. I'm bathing in it. Yes, this is what I wanted and needed. Thank you, Helen. This is amazing. Thank you. And thank you oh for the God. resources. Um, have you Absolutely. heard of this book, uh, "Women Who Run with the Wolves"?
1: Oh yeah, I totally. I haven't read that in so long, but yeah. yes.
0: Um, my I therapist recommended yeah. it to me like yesterday. She's like, Grace, I think oh, you're yeah. ready for this book now. I was like, Okay. <laughs> nice. And she was like, the one thing, she was like, the one thing, I'm glad you're not. She's like, I don't think you're numb to your anger, and I think that's a good thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, Yeah, I feel it all the time. I'm not numb to that. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's like, learn to harness it. I was like, Okay.
2: Hmm.
0: But thank you for this talk. And one last question. Do you have any form of uh, creative expression or artistic expression that you're currently engaging in at the moment?
1: Um, That has been so on my mind um, because I have been, yeah, recently um, I've really been missing that a lot. So I actually have, um, I had sort of started talking with a group of friends, like a few people who I did my MFA with, And we were starting to have conversations about how to sort of integrate um, digital technology and um, and just different forms of like media in with um, like healing practices and like liberatory practices and like mm-hmm. what would that look like? We were mm-hmm. like virtual realities, kind of cool. like oh. we were having all of, you know. So mm-hmm. that is um, because I've been so caught up in just like learning and everything and moving and yeah. life transitions. But right. yeah, that's, um, that is on the forefront of my mind. So, um, not yeah. active now, but it's percolating, but just feeling the need for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I you. Sure, I'm sure, I'm sure
0: you're going to get there. I'm sure VR sounds amazing. That, phew.
1: VR and effect yeah. and creating new worlds.
0: Dude, that's like a whole other epic.
1: I know, that's yeah, Holy that's cow. like the that's like the dreams. I'm I'm Ugh. trying to like okay, I need to like buy some of those. Dude, models. you're going to get
0: there. I mean, you're designed for it. You're the one that's made for it. <laughs> I'm super excited. <laughs> Thanks, Helen.